0: ever had um, an opportunity to hear somebody that has inspired you. Somebody who really, as you got to hear their spiritual journey, that just really challenged you to walk with God. But I recently had a, um, had a chance to, to view a video called The Insanity of God. I don't know if you've heard of this before, but it talks, it, the, the, I know that's a strange name, but the the premise is that God is insane, that he would send his all, one and only son to die for us and live for us. And it, this had a huge impact on me, and particularly one particular guy that uh, gave basically his the spiritual journey. It's a true story. It's about a guy who was in the former Soviet Union. And at that particular time when he grew up, uh, the churches were being... Uh, just totally closed down the government, the communist government was uh, just uh, torturing people and so forth and there weren't there weren 't any churches in his neighborhood that he could go to and so he started he thought you know what i 've got two school age boys I want to teach my boys about god and uh, he started reading the bible he was he you know wasn 't very good at it he kind of stumbled around and was was kind of, you know, new to this, had never really done this before, but he would sit his boys down every day and teach them from God's word, just by reading scripture and talking about the different stories about in the word. And his neighbors began to take notice of, of this. You know, they walk by and they'd see him sitting out there reading, reading the Bible. And they'd be asking and he goes, no, no. He goes, don't, don't stop by. He goes, I, I, I'm not a preacher. I can't, I can't teach, you know, I'm just telling my boys about this. Well, they persisted and they kept coming and kept coming. And pretty soon they started meeting in his house. And before long, about 75 people were crammed into his house, listening to God's word as he, uh, you know, would read God's word and as he would teach a little bit, the best he knew how. And the KGB took notice of this and very quickly, they came in one night when he was uh, teaching to this group of 75 people in his house. And they took him and took him away to a prison a thousand miles away, up north, probably Siberia. I don't know, he didn't say exactly where it was, but but in that particular prison that they put him, there were 1,500 Hardened criminals. This was a prison just for the worst of the worst of their society. And he was the only believer in that particular prison. He was there for 17 years. When asked in this testimony as he was given, somebody asked him, well, how did you survive? And one of the things he said is he said, you know, he said every morning when I would get up and the sun would start to rise, he said, I would stand at my bed, I would hold my hands to heaven, and he said, I would sing out my heart song to Jesus, my praise and my worship to God. He said the very first, uh, first time he did this, as he started, uh, he said the, the uh, hardened criminals had a riot, not a good riot. They had a, like, they, they were pretty upset. And they started just throwing garbage at him, throwing feces at him, just yelling, cursing at him, and just... And this, this went on for, for some time as he would uh, make this a practice. Uh, and you can imagine that uh, it, was, it was kind of a lonely place for him. But he stood there singing his heart song to Jesus. And then if he could ever find a piece of charcoal or a small piece of paper, he would take that And he would write down every Bible verse that he could in the tiniest handwriting that he could find. And he would take that as an offering, as a praise offering to God. And he would put that up on the damp wall of his prison cell on the concrete wall where there was water dripping down. And he would put it as high as he could as a praise offering to God. And when the guards saw this, you can imagine how they reacted. They came in and just beat him to a pulp. Cursing at him and just you know making making fun of him and saying you you know you believer you just you're, you're worthless and all that. Well, this went on uh, for some time, and uh, the guards finally came to the point where they said, "We're going to break this guy. We're going to make him renounce his faith." And as they as they uh, did, they they uh, had a had a plan. They took a woman prisoner from another prison that was in the area that was about the same size and build as his wife. And they somehow went to all the trouble to get some of his wife's clothes. And they dressed her up and hid her face from it and dragged this woman by his cell one day and took her down the hall and tortured her and abused her for three days. And she went silent. She died. She was killed. And they drug her back by his cell. And you can imagine him hearing this and all the, just the fact that it was, you know, it was torture just seeing that. But he was thinking of the whole time that this was his wife. Well, as that happened, they, she, again, she, he didn't see her face and they just drug her by and took her out. So he thought, you know, is this really worth it following Jesus? this really worth it the guards you know conversed with them he says i give up he says bring me the sheet of paper to sign that says i renounce my faith and the next morning they brought this piece of paper that he was going to sign to say i renounce and he could go free and he had a change of heart overnight he didn't go through with it and the um uh, about a week later, in the prison yard, he found another piece of paper, hadn't found one for a long time, and a pencil, and he went and he wrote down again all the Bible verses, all the praise and worship things he could think of, every every story, Bible story, and again, he put it as high as he could as a praise worship offering to God, and of course, the guards see it, and they had had enough. They beat him, grabbed him and drug him and said, today you're going to die. We're going to take you out. And the firing squad could be seen right outside the prison, prison yard, and they take him, take him out, they, out of the cell, start to drag him out, and the entire prison population, these 1,500 hardened criminals, all stood, faced the east, raised their hands, and began to sing that worship song that he had sung for 17 years. And I got thinking about that, that was, well, there was one other part to this, this testimony. He said the guards dropped their hands off of him, they dropped him to the ground and said, who are you? They were just, they were blown away, they couldn't, who are you? And he says, I am the son of the living God and his name is Jesus Christ. And I was thinking, how does a person How does a person survive that? We've, you know, through the book of Acts, we've seen the apostle Paul in in prison and different things. And one of the things that is really inspiring to me is his conviction of who Jesus is. The son of God, the God almighty, the one that we are, those of us who know him, are his his children. Today, we're gonna look at uh, another person in the book of Acts here that is pretty inspiring to me. He didn't go through a prison sentence or anything, torture, anything like that, but boy, I am challenged by his conviction. His in certain areas, we're gonna see some of these things. I am really challenged to, to walk with God as a result of seeing this man's life. His name is Apollos. Let's, uh, if you would, put up on the screen the verses. And if you'd stand as we read these verses, 24, chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. It says this. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And he, when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public. Showing by the scriptures that that Christ uh, that the Christ was Jesus. Uh, you may be seated. So we have we're going to take a look at the, uh, three things today. We're going to look at the uh, the character of Apollos. We're going to look at the content of, of of Apollos. What did he know? Who was he? What did he know? And we're going to look at the conviction that he had, the convictions, he had more than one. And so that's kind of the thing that we'll, kind of what we'll base kind of our outline on this morning. And we will also take a look at some applications for our own personal lives. Last week we looked at the sovereignty of God, how God, Jim brought uh, to us the, how God had brought uh, Paul in connection with Priscilla and Aquila uh, back in chapter 17. and. Today, we're going to see how Priscilla and Aquila were brought sovereignly in connection with Apollos and how God just just worked all this, this out. Apollos, it says here, uh, he was a Jew um, and he was from Alexandria. And the stigma of being from Alexandria, uh, you know, it's like if you talk, if you say you're from a certain place, you kind of have a preconceived idea what a person's like, you know, if you say I'm from Boston, Massachusetts, I can't use that accent, but you know, you've heard a person, you kind of have an idea what they're like, or if I'm from Dallas, Texas or San Francisco or whatever, you know, somebody probably has a preconceived connection or stigma of me when I say I'm from Fontenelle, Nebraska, you know, Hicktown, USA, but, But, you know, Apollos lived up to the fact that he was from Alexandria. Alexandria was known as, well, first of all, it was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. It was in Egypt and it was a population of between 500,000 to a million people at this particular time. And Alexandria was renowned for being a place that had many schools of learning and philosophical studies it was a place where there were many scholarly men and apollos was one of these these scholarly men he was well studied he was well educated and notice there in in uh, verse 24 one of the first things it says there is that he was an eloquent man eloquent meaning that he could he could express himself very well better than i can in in his words when he spoke Got up in front of people, he could, you know, he could tell people exactly, um, you know, it, it says that he was eloquent and he could, The best way I could maybe define eloquent is you can make the complex understandable. You know, from scripture, as he was teaching, he would help people understand uh, what God's word really had has to, to say. The Greek word there also not only means to help a person understand and be persuasive, but it also means, to be educated. There was kind of that idea. It's the difference of a person who can talk about something or the person who knows what he's actually talking about. That was Apollos. He was gifted in that. And more gifted actually probably than the Apostle Paul uh, in in Corinthians, the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says several times about that he has, you know, he's, he's not all that much of a persuasive speaker. And I think that he was probably referring to Apollos being much better than he was. One of the things that uh, an eloquent person, there, there can be some problems, and the Corinthian church certainly experienced that. In First Corinthians, where Apollos went, uh, he went to Corinth, but in First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, it says this, "'For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people "'that, you, that there is quarreling among you my brothers.'" What I mean is that each of you, one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. There was a division that had become because people had started choosing different camps of who they were going to follow. And that can cause a great division. It becomes a popularity status, you know, that, that kind of a kind of an idea because an, elo- an eloquent teacher is a great thing. That's a, that's, I mean, it's great to have somebody who can explain God's word and teach it well, but it can cause people to also fall into personality cults. You know, to, I'm gonna follow this person. That's the one that I wanna, uh, you know, give my allegiance to. I think that that's something that we have to be careful in the, in the church today. You know, it's some, some even here. You know, some of us might say, well, I, I follow, you know, I follow Ryan or I follow Jim or I follow Seth or, you know, those kind of things. We have to be careful of, of, of that particular thing because it will cause division. But he was eloquent. He was also, it says, competent in the scriptures. He had a thorough knowledge is, is what uh, the NIV says. a had thorough knowledge of the scriptures he had good command of it, and he could go to scripture to defend biblical truth. And it was also an offensive tool to help people to grow in, in God's word and, and as they grew in, in righteousness and truth. So how does a person get to the point where they become competent in the scriptures? How do you become competent? Well, I think it's just like anything else. I know one thing that I grew in competency as I was growing up as a kid, I knew how to, I became a good horseback rider. I remember begging my parents for a horse, begging and begging. I remember probably 10 years old and finally one day they got me a horse. It was demon possessed, but they got me a horse. It was a little Shetland pony. And if you've ever had a Shetland, you know what I'm talking about. This thing would take you under trees at a gallop and knock you off. It would lay down in the middle of the road. We didn't have a saddle at that time. He would lay down in the middle of the road and roll over so like he was acting, pretending probably that he was, you know, his back itched or something. And he would get you off in any possible way. But as I grew and was persistent, I finally got to the point where I could begin to ride him. Had competency. I became more acquainted with how to, to handle him. I got a bigger horse as the times went on and every Every summer evening, I would go and I'd ride that horse along the Elkhorn River bottom, along the trees, along, you know, just all those different kinds of things. But time, persistence, dedication, and just, you know, being more stubborn than the horse is, is is how you you gain that. Well, I think the same thing is true when it comes to God's word. We become competent in the word if we are willing to spend time, persistence, and be, um, you know, get deeper into God's word. A lot of us probably, you know, I've heard a lot of us, and I've done it too, get on a Bible plan where we read through the Bible in a year. We skim over kind of the surface. But I would challenge us to get into God's word. Go scuba diving into God's word in a sense. Get under the surface and find out what God has to say about different things. You can kind of tell whether or not you... um, uh, you know, if you're doing this by, can you defend what God has to say about Christ's deity? Can you defend a position biblically on uh, the sanctity of life or on the sexuality, which are all things that are, that are going on right now currently in our society? Can you defend those from scripture? If not, take some time, be persistent, get into God's word and become competent in it like, like our uh, Apollos that we're looking at today. Next, it says that he was, in verse 25, it says, uh, he was fervent in spirit. And that means just a passion, an enthusiasm. It, that word actually means to boil over. You're just, wow, you, know, you just kind of, you got to let it out. You got to tell people about, about something. And, you know, it's like, think about grandparents, if you're here today, think about when somebody asks you about your grandkids, what's the first thing you do? You pull out your phone or your picture book and you gotta show somebody about your grandkids. That's the way I am, I I love to show people about them, but I'm fervent about that, I'm enthusiastic about it. Some of us might be fervent about our hobbies, hunting, fishing, um, you know, your sports team I was thinking about our state being fervent about football, especially in 1971. Some of you aren't that old that you can think back at that particular time, but there was a, a football game back then called the Game of the Century, Oklahoma and Nebraska. And we had a state that was enthusiastic about it. And give you just one example of this, and you probably may have heard about this, but in the Omaha paper the day after that game, by the way, Nebraska won 31 or 35-31. And the, uh, just the day after the Omaha paper was making a comment about the viewers and how enthusiastic they were and how glued to their TVs they were. Because at halftime, the water level in Omaha dropped so much that the pumps couldn't keep up and get re- replenish the water in all their storage facilities in Omaha. Why? Because everybody went to the bathroom. They'd been so glued to the TV that first half and when halftime came, you know, they all were flushing the toilets. And that's how fervent the state of Nebraska, the city of Omaha was about, about that. A person who is fervent as a believer wants to tell people about Christ. They want to do whatever it takes to let people know about him. That was Apollos. He had a heart for an enthusiasm for lost souls for Christ. How about you and I? Are we fervent in our communicating Christ to the lost? So next area is that those were some of the characteristics of him. Next, we wanna take a look at the content. What did did actually did Apollos know? Gives us some, some ideas in here in verses 26, I believe, he says he began to, oh, in verse 25 it says, uh, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. So, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to first talk about uh, he was instructed in the way of the Lord. That's first in verse 25. He, he was instructed in the way of the Lord. What does that mean, that phrase, the way of the Lord? Well, it was used in the Old Testament, very first with Abraham, back in Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. It says this, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the that the Lord may bring Abraham what he promised him. The way of the Lord there is is a kind of a broad general term or phrase that's used in the Old Testament. A number of different places the way of the Lord was used to mean the instruction of God, the things that God wants to teach. Again, in Judges chapter 22, there's, I, could, I could name a whole bunch of them, where he talks about the way of the Lord. And each time it's talking about an early part of the, the Old Testament, it means... God's moral ethic code, a code of ethics, his morality, his standards, had a very general meaning. But then as you continue on through the Old Testament, one of the things that he talks about in Isaiah chapter 40, he says this, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. The way of the Lord begins broad as general, God's general moral code and standards, but it begins to narrow here. The way of the Lord here. The voice that cries out is referring to somebody who is coming to make known about the Messiah. Somebody who would come and prepare the the path in a sense for the Messiah to come. Obviously, John the Baptist. We know that on this side of, of, of the, uh, the New Testament. So that was one of that was one of the things that the that Apollos. Uh, he understood, he understood that some, he not only understood in a broad sense, but he understood that in a narrow sense, that the way of the Lord was about the coming Messiah. Listen to Mark, or excuse me, Matthew chapter th- three, verses one through three. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. So those are the things, some of the things that, uh, that helped uh, John, or the, Apollos as he began to see who uh, John the Baptist was and, and so forth. So the next thing in verse 25, it says, is that he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Luke doesn't give us any details on what that was, but if he, but as we understand, Apollos understood Old Testament prophecy and Old Testament about the way of the Lord. So he might've understood things about the virgin birth. In Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, he may have understood that the, that he, the, the Messiah was gonna be born in Bethlehem. He may have understood Uh, that that this Messiah was going to live a sinful life, or a sinless life, excuse me, represented by the perfect lambs and the goats that were used for sacrifices in Exodus. That God required a perfect spotless lamb. That was going to be the Messiah, one that lived and was going to be a sacrifice for sin. And it says he taught these things accurately or correctly. I want to just talk about that just for a little bit. the things that Apollos taught with exactness, you know, why, why, was, why does it put that, why is that important? I think about a, a couple examples of inaccuracy and what the, what the outcomes are that, of that. Take for instance, if you've ever had somebody come and knock on your door uh, from the Jehovah Witnesses. Have you ever had anybody? Probably all of us have, you know, that have come. One of the things that they take, if you've ever talked to them, is they take John chapter one, verse one. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, they switch one little word around and make it inaccurate. They say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Little G-O-D, was a God. They do not believe that Jesus is God. Now that causes all kinds of problems when you don't believe that Jesus is God. In fact, what it's, I mean, in a, basically the bottom line is it, it has created a, a, a works religion because they don't believe in a perfect sacrifice. You have to go out and work for your salvation. Besides not claiming that Jesus is deity, that, that's a pretty big problem. 8.6 million people right now today follow that religion that are, that are headed and going towards or uh, going with a works-based uh, religion towards an, a Christless eternity. I'll give you another example of inaccuracy. Prosperity gospel, you've, you and I have heard of that before. Use the, frame, or use the phrase, you're child of the king. God expects you to be healthy, wealthy, and free of trouble. If you lack, if, if you are not, then you lack faith. Never look, they probably never looked at the Apostle Paul. Was he any of those things? He had, he had great, great faith and trust in God. And you might be thinking, well, I already know that kind of stuff. I've, I've heard these, these things before. Let me probe just maybe a little bit deeper on the subject of Accuracy. How many of us get lazy when it comes, and I have done this before, I can say I've done this, when it comes to explaining how a non-believer or to a non-believer, how that they might become a Christian. Have you ever said something like this? All you have to do is receive Jesus or just ask Jesus into your heart. Sounds simple. Yet, if you don't explain the fact that they need to have their, that they are sinful and they need their sin forgiven, those phrases, those catchphrases that a lot of times we use, they don't mean much. What does receive me? What is you know, ask Jesus into your heart all about? We need to be accurate when we do that. Otherwise, we mislead people of just thinking that it's an easy little prayer that you just pray, those kind of things. Jesus came to die for our sins and when we put our total dependence in that death, For our sins, that's when Jesus gives us new life and eternal life. It's total dependence upon that. Or let's say you might inaccurately lead somebody to believe that life is going to be great when you become a believer. Well, just look at uh, Dimitri, the guy that I talked about in the Russian, the Russian. (laughs) It's not that easy, it never will be. There might be joy and, and uh, you know, a, just a whole new outlook on life, but it, it's not gonna always be that way. How many of us would appreciate a doctor that, let's say a, uh, a doctor who operates on us, and it was a cancer doctor, and he says, yeah, I think I got most of the cancer, you know? Or a brain surgeon who says, I think I was kind of in the right area of, the, of your problem. You know, we want accuracy. We want to know that a person uh, you know, is accurate. And the same thing uh, with scripture. It's a matter of spiritual life and death. Here's another thing that he knew. Verse 25, it says that he was instructed in the way of the Lord. Uh, being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught the things accurately concerning Jesus, though he only knew the baptism of John. That's John the Baptist that he's talking about there. Uh, even though he knew all these things, um, John the Baptist, he knew that John the Baptist, um, uh, you know, about his baptism. It says in Acts chapter 14, or 19, verse 4, passage that we'll be looking at next week, that Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who, came, who was to come after him, that is Jesus so if he understood who you know a little about the repentance of, of that he was that we were to have and a little about Jesus, he would probably have heard some of the things that John the Baptist said. Here in John chapter 1, it tells us that John the Baptist told that Jesus was greater than he, and that Jesus has always existed, it was in John chapter 1, verse 15. John the Baptist also said that grace and truth come through Jesus. He said that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He said that Jesus would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and that he was the Son of God. Those might have been some of the things when it says here that he knew only the baptism of Jesus and he taught accurately about those things, but he knew at least those particular things. So when um, Luke here in the book of Acts says that Apollos knew only the baptism of Jesus he hadn't heard the rest of the story yet the rest of the story uh, which was they, was about to get explained to him he was Apollos is essentially like an Old Testament saint who hadn't learned about Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection that, that would be a pretty significant thing to, to uh, leave out of his story and yet everything he knew up to this point, he taught accurately. There's a couple of convictions that, um, that I want to talk about that Apollos had. He boldly, it says in verse, um, in verse 26, it says he began to boldly speak in the synagogue. That, uh, you know, with his eloquence and all the things that, that he spoke with, it says he, he would speak out. What may, I just got thinking, you know, what motivates a guy to speak boldly? You know, to, just a go and tell it all about, about Christ. You know, he wasn't getting paid for this. Why did he even come from Alexandria? If you look on the map, Alexandria, Egypt, all the way to Ephesus, is that's a pretty good trek. You know, what, what, what got him there? He wasn't getting frequent flyer miles to add it up on his card, those kind of things. He hadn't even heard of the resurrection yet. And yet he went with conviction because he knew people needed to know that the Messiah was coming at least in his mind that was coming yet. Now we might think, you know, there's no way uh, that I have the, the skills or the boldness to do anything like Apollos. That may be true, but sometimes we use that as an excuse not to share Jesus with somebody else. My sister, um, Nancy, many, many of you probably have, have known as she's been around from time to time. They live in Orlando, Florida, my, her husband and her. But when she was 16 or 17 years old, I'm not sure exactly the timeline there, she went to a Billy Graham movie in, in Fremont here. And at that time, uh, she came to Christ. She understood her sin, she understood that Christ could pay for that sin, and she, she came to know Jesus. She came home from her first year of college, and she had learned how to communicate Christ uh, to, to people using a little thing called the four spiritual laws. And she sat me down as, a, as I was 16 and uh, she sat me down and explained the gospel to me. First time, I'd gone to church all my life, but the first time I really understood what it meant to know and how to have a relationship with Christ. She shared with my parents, they became Christians. She shared with my brother, he became a believer. She shared with sorority sisters as she lived in a sorority house in Lincoln. That went, or this past year, uh, she was sharing a couple, of just some exciting stories. Uh, she was walking around in a park. Every day she has this routine where she'll take a walk in this park in Florida where she lives. Saw a 14-year-old girl there day after day, and she went over and started talking to her. Shared Christ with her about the third day. Girl became a Christian, started following her up and helping her grow. A couple months ago, she was on a flight from Atlanta, uh, from LA to Atlanta, sitting next to a gal that was going home on spring break, shares Christ with her, gal comes to Christ. Now I share that not to glorify her in any way, but to say this, that a person doesn't have to be a superhero or to be exactly like Apollos to boldly share Christ and the gospel with somebody else. She is the most humble, meek person that you will ever meet. She is definitely not a type A personality, and but she i will say this she has conviction she is convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are to communicate christ to other people not just living out the life sure that's easy to say oh i i live out my life in front of my neighbors and that kind of thing don't curse at them, those kind of things so but how about opening our mouths and actually telling them about christ asking them questions about about their spiritual lives and and digging into their lives. Priscilla and Aquila also had convictions. Do you notice there, as we read it earlier, that when it says, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They heard that he was missing the rest of the story. They didn't make a big scene out of it. They didn't stand up and say, you are a heretic. You're missing the whole point here. They didn't do that, didn't cause a scene. They just quietly took him aside, probably went to runza after the service, you know, in the Jewish synagogue. But, but they didn't, they didn't uh, I, I'm sure it probably wasn't the most comfortable thing that they'd ever done in their lives. It was probably fairly uncomfortable. Why do I say that? Well, imagine that you're sitting at a banquet next to somebody who you really respect. Maybe somebody's sitting across to you and this person's going to be the keynote speaker, and they're eating beforehand, maybe a John Piper or John MacArthur or maybe R.C. Sproul or somebody like that. And they're sitting here conversing a little bit, and you notice that the salad that he was eating had ranch dressing on it and gets up on the side of his face. Or, you know, he's got a piece of lettuce stuck between his teeth as he's talking to you. Or maybe a booger hanging out of his nose. Are you going to say something to this person that you, you know... Hardly know, and you just heard, you know, you're going to, you know, you just met, you well respect, that has, you know, dignity and class and those kind of things. I think it might have been a little bit uncomfortable like that for Aquila and Priscilla to speak with this eloquent, educated person. And yet they pull him aside. Here are these two lowly tent makers, pull him aside, and they are compelled. They are uh, to take this person and fill in the blanks of his, the, the things that were missing from his message. I think that that would be intimidating. Well, what motivated Priscilla and Aquila to do that? They had deep convictions that Jesus had died, risen from the dead, and defeated sin and death. And regardless of what would happen, they were still gonna tell him and let him know. I think that's pretty impressive about their convictions. The last conviction is that Apollos seeks out opportunities to build believers. Verses 27 and and twenty-eight. It says when he and when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to him uh, to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing. By the scriptures that Jesus, that Christ, that the Christ was Jesus. that The Messiah was the Jesus that uh, he had just learned about. So, you know, why did he go? What, what, why did he initiate getting up and going to, to that? I think it's his convictions. He had convictions. He saw an opportunity for ministry and he acted upon it. I would argue that, the ministry, that, that ministry is not just for Apollos, but it's for us, all of us. It's not just for the silver-tongued people, the bold people, but ministry is a part of a believer's DNA. We have a new life. Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 tells us that we are a new creation, that Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that we are ambassadors for him to go and to proclaim the gospel in Matthew chapter 28 in Acts chapter one, verse eight, and second Timothy two, two, and on and on you could go, that scripture tells us that we are to go and minister to people. You and I have new DNA, new genes, genes that are ministry genes in us, whether we recognize it or not, that Christ remade us, gave it, caused us to become a new creature to minister to others. Let me give you just three quick applications. Let me ask this. Are you competent in the scriptures? you may not have Apollos' personality, those kind of things, but are you reading God's word and going below the surface? Are you getting, getting under? It definitely takes time. It takes maybe years, the rest of your life to go under the surface and begin to understand from scripture and be able to competently handle the scriptures. That's not just for a pastor. That's not just for you know the, the, the spiritual ones. It's for all of us to do. Can you defend positions of life and sexuality and the deity and any, any of the issues that are in our society today? Don't need a fancy commentary or systematic theology books just need to understand and get in in the scriptures need an accountability partner i think to do that do you have an accountability partner to become more and more skilled in the scriptures here's number two if you have a relationship with christ thus a new life do you have or do you live out the impact of your spiritual dna that's in you as an ambassador for Christ and the ministry that God has, the ministry of reconciliation? Do you live it out? God's given us this and uh, he desires that we get involved in people's lives. It might be teaching Sunday Bible study. It might be uh, helping with kids. It might be helping with Awanas. It might be helping with the youth group. Do you minister to people? Might be discipling somebody. Finally, do you have convictions? or do you just have head knowledge? Do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, something, a hill that you would die on because the scripture says that it's true? Do you have those kind of things going for you in your life? Convictions cause us to live the life like the guy that I gave the first example was in a Russian prison who continued to live out faithfully in spite of the circumstances, or Apollos, it causes, convictions cause us to, to, to live out our lives in such a way that we will follow Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for Apollos. And I thank you for uh, just the fact that uh, he was a man who had convictions, that he had character, and he had the content because he knew how to, to get deeper into the scriptures. I would just ask, Father, that these wouldn't just be good words. This morning, but that they would challenge us to uh, to live out a life and take action on the things that we know are true. Thanks for thanks for all that you do, and and uh, may it make a difference in our lives this week and for the rest of our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd stand this morning.